Welcome everybody to another episode of Data Science at Home. This time I'm not into any monologue because I'm with a machine learning aficionado as he defines himself, data analyst, computational biologist and also author of some books that a data scientist might be very happy to have on the bookshelf. Let me give you some titles. Heat maps in R, how to and Python machine learning. Some of you know that I'm talking about Sebastian Rashka. Welcome to Data Science at Home, the podcast about data science for small companies and large enterprises. Data Science at Home is the show where we tell you the skills you need and the tools you can build at home. We are supported by World of Piggy, thinking human world in mathematical terms. Visit worldofpiggy.com or Twitter at World of Piggy. Hi, Sebastian. Welcome to Data Science at Home. Yeah, hi, Francesco. Thanks for the uh, invitation to your podcast. I'm really looking forward to be on your show today. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure, of course. Well, I know that I should speak a bit less than, than I usually do. And uh, I would start with one simple question. Who are you? Huh. So, yeah, thanks for the very simple question as a warm-up exercise. So, um, as you might have guessed from my accent, I'm actually uh, from Germany. I was born and raised in Germany. And, yeah, now I'm working at Michigan State University as a computational biologist. I'm actually a PhD candidate and system administrator. So, that means uh, I have a special deal with my advisor since I'm not really thinking about a academic career in future. I'm, yeah less into teaching and I get to do the system administration of our servers uh, in my spare free time when I don't do research. And I'm also very passionate about machine learning and uh, all things about Python, Python open source projects. I'm contributing to, for example, scikit-learn or just yesterday I submitted a new pull request to matplotlib. And yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about Python, machine learning, and all the things related to it, data science projects. And um, yeah, I wrote a small book a couple of years ago about R when I was more into R. Now I'm more, uh, yeah, the Python guy, I would say. I uh, published this book, Python Machine Learning, which I think is, uh, yeah, pretty, it was a pretty interesting project that I just um, hopefully teach people how to use, um, or yeah. how to understand machine learning and how to get ready to apply it to solving their own problems. And and we're going to speak about it in, in a minute. But before we get into the details about Python and all these beautiful things that you are writing and actually doing in the data science uh, arena, I would like to ask you, what is your definition of data science and who you think is the data scientist? Okay, I see your uh, questions are getting trickier here. Um, <laughs> yeah, the definition of data science, I think, is a very um, controversial one. And I would say the field of data science is really highly interdisciplinary. So we require a lot of different skills to be or to be called a data scientist, I would say. The term is a little bit ambiguous. I think there is definitely an overlap with uh, what we've known as data mining or knowledge discovery in right. databases. But I would say it's all about um, asking questions, analyzing trends, building predictive models, collecting data, modeling data, analyzing data, making decisions, all these things. And I think a typical data scientist has to have a list, at least a little bit of knowledge about the classic computer science field. Let's say uh, uh, knowing about algorithms, um, programming language, um, but also understanding hardware requirements, memory management, um, maybe operating systems. 
So you also agree that is a, a set of skills that the data scientist must have. I, it sounds a little bit like a jack of all trades, like the computer science, mm -hmm. the math and stats, and visualization communication skills. But I think you don't have to be a real expert in any of these. Um, uh, no, sorry, not any of these, but all of these, because <laughs> I think they only has 24 hours and you have to specialized in some subfield, I would say, because usually in practice you work in teams. So you have one uh, person whose strength it is to implement your algorithms most efficiently. You have someone who is the expert in the stats field. And basically you work together as a team so you can basically help each other to solve the big problem here. Also because the problems, are, to, to my eyes, have become much more complex than the problems that we had we were dealing with like 10 years ago. Um, yeah, uh, I think that is a valid point. I mean, of course, we're collecting more and more data. There are more and more tools being developed that can help you analyze the data. Computer hardware is becoming more powerful, so it allows us, we just have more tools and um, data are uh, around that we can solve bigger problems and our algorithms are becoming more sophisticated so it's all going towards the part that we are cannot that we cannot tackle uh, things that were maybe impossible 10 years ago i mean if you look at the image classification um, or uh, natural language processing it's becoming mm -hmm. all more and more sophisticated which is kind of exciting but on the other side there, there, there has never been so much material from the internet uh, like libraries and scientific packages ready to use software books at anybody's disposal it seems like being a data scientist for someone is a kind of a piece of cake today do, do you agree with that yeah that's uh, so true when it comes to the resource resources that are available over the internet and i mean i'm quite active on twitter as you might know and um I see basically a new introduction to data science or machine machine learning popping up at least, let's say, twice a day. Um, mm -hmm. But I think also you have to be a little bit selective here to not get distracted by all the introduction material, because otherwise you would basically read the same thing all over and over again, and you won't learn anything new, probably. Mm. So right. I think data science is not really a piece of cake because, um, you know, it's not all about the technical skills. It's also about your experience. Um, you are actually a problem solver. You want to ask the right questions and you want to do novel discoveries. And that's basically something you don't necessarily need from um, or learn from intro material. That's something mm -hmm. when you apply data science, if you tackle novel problems and you will gain your experience over time. That's something it's not, cannot really be taught. It has to be experienced, I would say. We were talking about this in a previous episode of this podcast series in which we were uh, talking about experience um, on the field. So uh, the ability to solve problems as you, as you encounter them. I have another question regarding programming languages for data scientists. Why Python? Actually, I started with Perl um, in my undergrad. Then I uh, did a lot of R, but now I'm a Python, heavy Python user. And the reason is just I, I like the um, community, basically. There are so many people who are so excited about this language. And I think that is a very important part because there's always someone who solved a problem already. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. And you have so many packages available that you can basically solve every problem. And I'm not probably the best example of a programmer or software engineer in the classic sense. So I'm more like a problem solver. And Python, that comes down to me, for me to productivity versus computational performance. You want to analyze your data in the first place. 
And then you can worry about efficiency and things like that. But also you have to keep in mind, sometimes you're working with uh, bigger data sets. Memory is a problem, sometimes hardware capacities and ex uh, how fast you can access your data and how fast your algorithms run. But also Python has a lot of good solutions here. Like you have, um, yeah, NumPy is a trivial example, but also Cython and yeah. Pandas. And if Pandas can't read, uh, if you can't read everything into memory, you have something like Blaze. And you have the multi-processing, multi-threading modules. You, right. if you want to ex work with Spark, there's a PySpark, uh, Spark binding. Now you have all the nice, um, yeah, deep learning libraries popping up. You have Theano. There's everything you need in Python. So that's why I like it. <laughs> so would you suggest Python for a production environment? Sure. So the thing is, you can do a lot of things in Python, but it's maybe not always the most efficient one, but it works. I mean, I uh, had some simple web apps uh, in Python, uh, scikit-learn and um, using Flask. So that works. It depends mm -hmm. really on um, what kind of uh, what framework you want to use and what the application is all about. Okay, I understand. Allow me to get more philosophical here. Do you think that data scientists might be substituted in the near future by the perfect algorithm anytime soon? Huh, so um, soon is a pretty relative term, I would say, but I think I will go <laughs> with a yeah with a relative no here. So the thing is, the reason is because I think... I'm relieved. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, I think really um, everything gets more and more automated. Um, better tools are being developed. Tools are becoming easier to use. And I think a lot of people are having a lower entry barrier to data science in future when it comes to the technical skills. But again, I think data science is also about asking the right questions, about interpreting your results, drawing the conclusions, and communicating the conclusions. And I think these are skills mm. that cannot be so easily automated. I mean, just uh, last week, um, the, for example, the Populi platform was launched by Chris Alban and Jonathan Morgan. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a nice direction towards like um, helping with the analysis of data, visualizing it, and maybe helping with uh, the interpretation too. But I think you still need the stats, skills, and the general knowledge in terms of asking the right questions and interpreting your results. I don't think you can automate that very soon. So we still need the handcrafted skills behind automatizing things. Makes sense to me. I mean, I, I'm glad that you also think that because otherwise in, in, in a couple of years or maybe in 10 years, we would not have a job anymore. <laughs> no, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. Uh, all right. So, well, I was thinking about some tasks that uh, can be automatized easily. For instance, uh, data cleaning or wrangling. It, it's all part of a data, data analytic pipeline that take a lot of time. So these are usually the most time consuming consuming component of a pipeline. And I was just thinking if one of these components might be substituted on fully automatized in the, in the future. So that could help actually uh, a lot of data scientists who maybe can focus on uh, more complex things. Yes, yeah, so that's also a very interesting philosophical question. So I think data cleaning, of course, be can become easier. So the thing is, examples how to, for example, work with uh, missing data. Um, that's something I'm not sure how in how far you can automate it, uh, automate it. But on the other hand, I think also we are collecting more and more data. So if the ratio of good quality data information versus noise shifts more towards having or stays the same, we collect more and more data, then I would say that noise becomes less and less important for your algorithm because it, mm -hmm. the majority of data hopefully is good quality data. 
But yeah, that is a very interesting point. And I think um, a lot of time in a machine learning pipeline is spent preparing the data. It's not only right. cleaning, but it's also uh, finding the right features. I mean, if you think about classic approach like principal component and as a linear discriminant, and as something to prepare your data for the main uh, algorithm that builds your model. And also here I was, um, I have a friend, uh, Randy Olson, he, uh, is actually the one who brought the nice forward in my book. So he's working on an interesting project. Um, it's called Teapot, like a T-P-O-T. And it's basically a machine learning pipeline optimization tool. And we were just brainstorming about some ideas and he already implemented uh, the first kind of, not yet draft, I would say. And he also published a paper about that. You can, I think, find it on his website. So it's mm-hmm. about using evolutionary algorithms to basically optimize or to automatically build a machine learning pipeline with all the components prior to model building, but also model building itself. So oh, cool. the interesting part is really that um, you have a huge number of algorithms, you have a huge search space, and you need some kind of domain knowledge to, or not domain knowledge, but also experience to choose the right algorithms. And yeah, maybe not everyone has these skills yet. So um, this tool is basically to automate this process to evolve basically the pipeline over time in an efficient way using genetic algorithms. Mm-hmm. But then also you have the problem, the more and more algorithms you have in your search space, the more expensive it gets. But I think um, these are all cool approaches towards automating um, pipelines, uh, machine learning pipelines. And it's a very interesting project. You should check it out. It's yeah, I will. And actually, I was leading this conversation towards data collection. It was a very interesting point, the one that you just mentioned uh, regarding it depends on choosing the right data to, to train our models. The thing is that, in my opinion, and it's not just my opinion, is that some machine learning algorithms require examples to be trained, right? And and most of the time they rely on labeled data. So uh, the, the, the magic is into selecting the right data to train even simple al- algorithms. But what would happen if all of a sudden there would be less labeled data or or more realistically, if there would not be enough labeled data sets to train our models? So I think, um, yeah, that's a valid point. Of course, a machine learning algorithm can only be as good or the model that comes out can only be as good as the data you feed it. But on the other hand, there are many, many algorithms being developed for semi-supervised learning. And also, if you take another example, like convolutional neural networks, they mm-hmm. are <clears throat> getting pretty good at discovering your uh, yeah, relevant features in your big data set. And Convolutional neural networks are currently used for, the majority of convolutional uh, neural networks are used for images, right? Yeah, that's correct. So that you basically want to find most distinct uh, features in your image that helps you to basically classify your uh, images in different uh, sub, uh, different categories. And um, yeah, before that, it was really tedious to scale. I mean, convolutional neural networks are not really scale invariant, but equivariant. So it, you don't have to worry as much about it scaling your image or rotating your image. That's mm-hmm. some pre-processing task that the algorithm already does for you, kind of. And also uh, in terms of unlabeled data, you have, for example, also technologies or platforms like Amazon Amazon's uh, Mechanical Turk, where you can basically help hire users via the internet, pay them a little um, compensation to label your data. But um, yeah, there are also many, many new semi-supervised approaches to also capitalize on um, good quality unlabeled data that you have a bit of labeled data, a little bit of unlabeled data, and you can basically then also use your unlabeled data to improve your model. Of course, there's also, it doesn't always work. Your unlabeled data also has to be somehow useful. It can't be like junk data. 
So there was, I think, an interesting paper and read it like one or two years ago. It was something around the lines, uh, unlabeled data, now it helps, now it doesn't. So it's basically an empirical comparison when unlabeled data helped to improve the model and sometimes it didn't help. It would be nice to get the title of such a paper. A lot of listeners would be really interested in that. Yeah, well, I will look for it and then we can put it into the show notes so that the readers can check it out. It will be, yeah, it was a pretty interesting paper. It's not that old, I think 2014 or something. Sebastian, this is something I would really have liked to ask you a long time ago when I got in touch with your book, Python Machine Learning. What is the most exciting data science project you have been involved in so far? Oh, yeah. So maybe I can um, split this into two sub-answers. So first, maybe the professional projects that I do uh, in academia. So I'm more like, uh, I would say I'm a computational biologist, a data scientist who happens to work with um, biological data. So I'm working on two um, big things here. So one problem in, uh, yeah, basically one one big uh, problem in computational biology is um, drug discovery. So um, imagine you uh, want you have a disease, or let's say it can be, for example, a headache or fever or pain, and you want to find a drug that can help uh, patients with this problem. For example, aspirin would have been uh, such a drug, like a small uh, molecule, a chemical substance that um, binds to proteins that are causing the problems. And we want to find the right, for example, drug or molecule that can help with the problem. And here I'm developing um, novel protein small molecule uh, docking algorithm. So there are three big classes of algorithms, empirical ones, then you have uh, molecular dynamics or mechanical force fields, and you have also um, the statistical potentials. And I was working on a fourth category basically uh, using graph theory, which is a pretty cool. So it's um, basically working with uh, three-dimensional data and trying to dock a ligand into a protein binding pocket. And another one, it's, uh, wow. yeah, that, uh, it seems complex. Yeah. The, the cool thing is really, um, it's not about refining any method that's been out there. It's really a real novel algorithm and a novel approach, which is pretty exciting. I mean, I have the manuscript written, written. I only, I, it was already finished before I went to on vacation in December. I just have to polish it a little bit and maybe submit it in the next couple of weeks. And the other one is a large scale ligand based, uh, drug discovery, I would say framework. So here, the other one that I described was taking a small ligand and docking it to a protein. And this one is really about the more the discovery of a ligand based on no knowledge. If you don't have any knowledge about the protein, it's basically a large scale uh, similarity search for certain chemical features. And yeah, here the challenge is I'm working with a real big data set. So I have like, so basically I'm working together with biologists. That's the very exciting part about it. So I do my predictions and then I hand off the predictions to the biologist and the biologist takes my predictions, um, for example, buys these molecules or synthesizes them and then they test it on their real application. And mm. then you get the feedback from your prediction and which is really cool. So you do the prediction, they do the experiments and then you know if it worked or not. It was a quite a broad project that was navigating from biology to data science and back. Yeah, kind of, because I'm working now with, let's say, I have uh, 13 million compounds in my database, and uh, I'm working with biologists. They do experiments, so they can test 13 million mo uh, molecules in their lab. So right. it's physically impossible. So yeah. what I have to do is I have to narrow it down to, let's say, 100 molecules or so. And how do you find the relevant molecules? Of course, there are different approaches, but here um, it's it's a mix between um, having a hypothesis, 
to narrow down the search space. That's basically the questions you ask as a data scientist. But it's also the high throughput um, computational um, effort. You have 30 million molecules, and you have to imagine a molecule is not only a snapshot. So it's not a rigid um, structure. You have to consider that it's flexible. So you have basically every one of the 13 uh, molecules can move in space and can um, rotate uh, bonds and things like that. Mm -hmm. And you have to also consider this. So it, you basically, if you generate 200 different poses for each molecule, you have 200 times 13 million things you have to compare to each other. And they have, you have all three-dimensional structures. So as a data scientist, it's a very, very exciting uh, problem. So to narrow down the, the, the possibilities, basically. Yeah, and then, uh, for example, in between you come up with predictions, you ask your biologist, hey, can you test it in the lab? Mm -hmm. Then you get your feedback and then you say, okay, this worked, this didn't work, and then you yeah. go back, refine your hypothesis, and run all the computational stuff again. And yeah, I'm lucky that I have access to our supercomputer here at uh, MSU, the HPCC, so that I can, if I need allocate maybe hundreds of processors and terabytes of RAM that I can get my <laughs> data analyzed in time because it's also time sensitive. You have to, that's also a challenge in data science. It's not only about finding the best approach, but you also have um, usually a time component that you yeah. need to find, find it soon. Yeah, exactly. And, yes. um, and this is also, this, uh, to be even broader, uh, this is also what is required, for instance, for financial market or for banking transactions where you need answers uh, in, in the immediate future. You know, you, you need answers like in a, in a matter of hours, maybe, maybe less. Ideally yesterday, right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back actually to a quote that I read from your book. Um, that really caught my attention. And I, I read something like, knowledge is gained by learning, the key is our enthusiasm, but the true mastery of skills can only be achieved by practice. And, and that's really, really awesome. It, it's almost poetic. Now, I, I want to be a bit critical here. And, um, and I, I personally agree, of course, with, with this quote. Is that yours? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> Con congratulations because I really, I really like it. But um, don't you think there are a lot of scientists, well, actually, data scientists out there who are claiming things without even trying? And of course, I'm not generalizing here. There are a lot of people who are, have a lot of technical skills. But a lot of these data scientists who are hitting the road at the moment have no technical skills at all. They just claim things. So I would like to ask your opinion about this. How do you see that? And do you think it's a trend or is just an isolated phenomenon? So what I was trying to express was basically that you can learn a lot of things by reading and listening. But to, be, to become really good at it, you have to also do it. I mean, by that, I mean, uh, so I also had the phrase, the key is your enthusiasm in this quote. You read about something, you learn something, but you have to be really excited about something that you really want to solve. And then if you work on this, you become better and better. And along the way, you will automatically look up more information, uh, mm -hmm. look up more resources that wouldn't have been come up in the first place if you would just have picked a book and read through the book. I mean, reading and listening to lectures and stuff like that is really important, but at some point you will gain so much more if you just apply uh, things you learned to work on something you're excited about, and then you will basically advance your knowledge by things that you haven't read before, that were outside the curriculum, that were beyond the learning resources. Now to the second part of your question, so about the technical <laughs> skills. Uh, I, I think at some, at some point uh, technical skills are important, but 
again, I think it's not always only about technical skills. Let me come up with a simple example. Let's say you want to sell a house. You have this uh, living room that looks kind of uncomfortable. And now you, uh, uh, as a scientist, ask the question, how can I make this room more comfortable? And then you notice, okay, there's a blank wall. I have to hang up a picture there. Then maybe it becomes more comfortable here. It's easier to sell the house. Then Mm -hmm. you can pick a hammer and put a nail into the wall, which would be your technical skill, using a hammer to put a nail into the wall. But if you think about it, if you have someone, if you know someone who can put in the nail for you, you say, hey, can you help me with the hammer and the nail, the technical skills? You still solve the same problem. So I think technical skills are somewhat important, but in the first place, it's more important to know what you want to do. It's important to ask the right question, to find a approach that can help you solving this question. And if someone in your team, for example, if you're a data scientist and you work in a team or you are supervising data scientists and they have the technical skills, I think that's okay. You don't have to know everything as long as you can solve the problems. Also to have a, a vision on the complete horizon of the of the things, uh, the, the complete problem. Maybe you need to stay up. And so maybe to these people, we would like to advise some books as a must read for data scientists. Oh, okay. I really like this book. Uh, it's called Introduction to Data Mining by uh, Ping Meng Tang. And he was a professor of mine. I took his data mining course a couple of years back. The course was a little bit more involved than this book, but the book, it's really amazing. It's, and it really covers everything that you need to know about data, asking questions of data. It, uh, he explains the al- machine learning algorithms very well. And machine learning is a very big part of a data scientist toolset. And it's just an amazing book because he covers basically everything. It's not in any program uh, written for any programming language. It's more like higher level, I would say. Mm-hmm. But a really, a really recommended read. Maybe I have uh, some background in machine learning. You could maybe take uh, the famous Coursera class by uh, Andrew Ng, and uh, this is really yeah. a good class to get you started. And there is also a lot of practice if you go on with assignments. Yeah, so I think um, this is a really good start. I, uh, if you, but it's, uh, I think it's taught in MATLAB. If you want to learn a bit uh, how to do machine learning in Python, you want to learn a little bit about algorithms that he may have not covered in his course. I've, yeah, I wrote about them and also not only the machine learning, but I also covered the little bit of parts that come before the machine learning and how to use scikit-learn for that. And mm-hmm. I think I ended with neural networks and uh, Theano. That would be also maybe an interesting um, thing to pick up for my maybe next book. And then maybe after that, these are more the gentle introductions. I would really recommend picking one of the more challenging ones. There are the elements of statistical learning by... Tip Shirani, I think. Hasty Tip Shirani. And... Uh, I read that book. <laughs> yeah, and then also alternatively you have uh, Bishop's Pattern Recognition and Machine Learning. Mm-hmm. And one of also my favorite books, um, I read this while I took a pattern classification class a while back. It's uh, also called Pattern Classification by um, Lula, Hart, and Stork. And these three books that I just mentioned, they are very similar. They go into a lot of math. But I think at some point, um, they are also more focused on statistical learning. But I think that is a very important aspect of machine learning, that you also not only know the high-level programming skills, but... Also, to have a little bit of the understanding how these algorithms work, basically. Well, we already filled the bookshelves of the majority of our listeners, I think. <laughs> One more thing, maybe for pleasure. So I just read this in December. 
It was uh, Pedro Domingo's uh, The Master Algorithm. Oh, yeah. I, I just finished that too. It, it's really beautiful. Something I would really recommend if, if you have a hard day or something, you want to enjoy a little bit your evening and you want to have a lighter read, but a very inspiring read, I would definitely uh, go for The Master Algorithm. It's full of interesting ideas, full of nice uh, pictures in terms of uh, figures of speech. And just a beautiful book. It's uh, I love it. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I had the same feeling. Let's move to deep learning. What do you think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Deep learning is one of my favorite topics in the data science arena. And uh, it's no big news. Everybody knows deep learning is literally dominating research in many fields from artificial vision to natural language processing and many other research fields. Now, I personally see two trends here. That is having a lot of networks, each one trained for a specific task or a huge brain that knows everything, so to speak on which basically we don't know much. I'm thinking about Google X, DeepMind, or other uh, deep learning projects at Facebook, for instance. My question is, do you see the same trends I see, or how do you see deep learning? So I think there are really also two different kinds of uh, problems that people want to solve. You have the field where people really want to understand artificial intelligence. They want to um, understand maybe how the human brain works and build basically this big human brain that can do a lot of things. But you also have the people who just want to solve a very particular problem. Maybe, um, yeah, building a machine that can recognize certain images, maybe scanning bank checks or something like this, mm-hmm. or doing uh, natural language processing for um, certain um, application. And uh, it's really more about what kind of problem you want to solve. And I think both are really directions that will become or stay um, popular. And if you think about it, um, usually if you, I mean, if you want to predict tomorrow's weather, I mean, doesn't help you if you can also predict or understand some uh, language processing that goes on on Facebook, for example. So right. it really depends on what problems you want to solve. And um, I think it's very interesting to have this big brain that can do a lot of things. But ultimately, I would also say it comes down to a meta-algorithm that basically combines um, smaller, more specialized models. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, both are interesting research directions, definitely. I mean, Google's uh, self-driving car, I mean, obviously it has to do a lot of things. And, yeah. and yeah, I think it's something I would be very excited about. I also, I, I mean, all deep learning is basically everywhere in the news and I mean, also recently, uh, Google's TensorFlow got a lot of um, yeah attention, which maybe helps uh, popularize, popularizing deep learning to a broader community. And I am really excited to uh, dig into that. And, and and maybe you know, we will see a self-driving car predicting the weather as well. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> hurt definitely if you know uh, if the road's going to be slippery in a couple of hours. Sebastian, I know this is kind of a sensitive question to ask you, but do you have any idea for your next book? Is there anything we can know in advance here on data science at home? Oh, actually, I have probably too many ideas. I actually was pretty busy recently uh, answering a lot of questions that I got via email. And I noticed a lot of the questions are about, um, yeah, are math related, basically. A lot of people are getting started with machine learning. But the math parts are probably the more challenging parts, I would say. Not the programming, mm-hmm. but really the understanding. And what I had in mind was basically a little bit of something going a little bit, um, yeah, stepping a step back or taking a step back and explaining the math very 
well, basically, in a very interesting way. Because actually, I can remember in high school, uh, I wasn't really excited, or also still in college, very excited about learning math because the math classes were not really the applications. You didn't didn't immediately see the application why you want to learn this and why this is. They were too abstract. That's right. Exactly. And later on, when you need it, then you go back. Okay, that was really important. I sh I, I really now I'm determined to learn this because I need this to implement some or to come up with something. So in but so I thought if you have somehow the connection to machine learning to show the reader why it is important, why it's cool, having cool uh, applications there, it makes the learning much more fun. I agree with that. I, I have actually an observation. We never learned in undergraduate school, for instance, the gradient descent. It's probably the most used algorithm out there. And we never learned the mathematics behind gradient descent, at least not, not in Italian schools. And, and that's a shame, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. That's something if you... If you have something like this and you explain the math behind it, I think it makes it much more fun than just going through a differential calculus and um, solving equations for the sake of getting a good grade in high school or college. So I think if you really have the application in mind, it's it's really cool, I think. So there would be something I would be interested in working on. But on the other hand, I'm also pretty excited about deep learning and uh, it's a very hot topic right now. I'm really uh, playing around with uh, TensorFlow right now, and I think it would be also an interesting topic. But on the other hand, I feel like everyone is writing about deep learning those days. There are so many tutorials already, so I'm just <laughs> wondering if this is not a little bit... One more. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like people never have enough about deep learning. Sebastian, I had a lot of fun talking to you, and of course I hope that our listeners had a good time too. Thank you very much for your time, and I hope to talk to you very soon. Yeah, thank you. It was really a pleasure to be on your show, and I really enjoyed it. So hopefully talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Data Science at Home is the show where we tell you the skills you need and the tools you can build at home. We are supported by World of Piggy, thinking human world in mathematical terms. Visit worldofpiggy.com or Twitter at worldofpiggy. Hey, if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes and help this podcast reach more ears. So tell your friends and colleagues that we exist. We will really appreciate it.